All right, on this episode of the LPDS, we get into a fan question and discuss a lesson that's that's not only important to young people just entering the workforce, but I think it could be valuable to anybody entering a new career field or a new job, new experience, anything like that. And I think it translates over for them too as well. So we'll, t- we'll answer that question. It's a, it was a great question. It helps, helps me certainly uh, on my business end, but also hopefully provide some lessons to you guys that you can take with you or teach your kids if you have kids. Um, so I'm excited about that. It's going to happen in the junction. We got a couple of current events and, uh, and a cage fact, of course. So all that's going to come up right now. All right, Jabronis, we're back. Welcome back to the Libretti Podcast Diary Show. I'm your host, Libretti. It's a show that talks about nothing but finds the lessons in everything. Uh, we're in another hotel room. I'm on guard duty, so I'm going to be a little bit more quiet. Try to be anyway. Respectful of the people around me and the with these thin walls going on. Uh, I'm tired. I got to be honest. I am dragging this week at guard duty, waking up early, still going to bed late. I have this problem, and I've probably mentioned this before. I have this problem that I can't do mornings, but I can't go to bed early either to, to make mornings more, you know, uh, not enjoyable, but doable, I guess you could say. And I'm sure there's a better word out there than doable, but that's all I can think of right now because my brain's dead. Mush. But no matter how early I get up and how tired I am throughout the day, after about 8 o'clock at night, that's it. I'm awake. I can't go to sleep early. I'll sit in bed. If I go to bed at 10, 99% of the time I'm sitting in bed staring at the ceiling, twiddling my thumbs until midnight at least. And then if I have to get up early again for the next day, I'm tired because I'm getting less sleep. And... It compounds, and you go three, four days, five days in a row doing that, uh, and you get worn out from it. And I don't even have an excuse why. I don't have kids that keep me up. I don't have even Randy when he's sick. He doesn't keep me up too too often. Uh, there's no reason for it. I just can't sleep. Maybe that'll help me if I ever have kids. Uh, I don't know, but... It's a first world problem, champagne problem, really, because I get to sleep in a nice bed all the time, even when I'm on the road. You can see in the back of this uh, makeshift studio here, I got, a, I got a nice bed, but I am tired. It affects me in, other, you know, in every aspect of my life, thinking, my, my workouts are, are bummier, if you will. I feel like I had to shave the beard for guard duty, so now I kind of I look fatter or I feel fatter. That's a self-conscious thing. That's not a fatigue thing. That's just an insecurity you got to deal with here. But we're working through it. So if the jokes aren't hitting, if the lessons aren't effective, 
Uh, I apologize up front. Um, but I'm not really that sorry. I'm being honest here. I'm trying to be honest with you guys. I, something I deal with. We're, not everybody is on all the time, and we know that. And that's another lesson right there for you, right off the bat. Is we're not always on. We're human beings. So... We gotta understand that and empathize with that, and I think you guys do. So thank you for that. Um, I got a really good question that I had on the hotline, and I've been saving for a while, so I could dedicate some more time to it. So that's gonna happen in the junction. But we got two current events I want to touch on. Two and a half, real quick. Yanks are out, pretty much. They're one of their new guys, Dominguez, already hurt, needs to have surgery, won't be back till next year. Great. Um, and I don't want to say I told you so because I think we were all on the same page here, but if anybody asks if Brian Cashman wants to wants to sit down with me and and lie about how he really thought this was a competitive team and he doesn't understand you know how this could have happened and this and that and they thought they were going to do it this year blah 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 all the lies he said to us at the beginning we can rewind we can go back several episodes to the beginning of the year the baseball season when we called this exact scenario out right here on the show and people thought I was crazy. Most of you guys at the junction in the LPDS universe didn't think I was crazy. You supported me because uh, you guys got good heads on your shoulders. Because you take, you know, you learn your lessons and you get educated and you're smarter and better for it. We predict this, this, this almost exact thing where we said they're not going to be that good. They're going to tell everybody that they're going to be good. They're going to have an abysmal season. They might have. They might show fake signs of being good. A couple, you know, a couple games, string along a few wins, and then they're going to go down in in an embarrassing fashion, and they're going to sit there with their thumbs up their asses, saying, "How did this happen? This, there's no way. We thought we had it this year, but injuries and this and that. No, the team stunk. We knew it from the get go. They did nothing in the All Star break. Not that they could do much because there's not much out there because they blew it in the past." And they missed out on opportunities in the past, and now it's affecting them in the present. They stink. Still love them. Don't know why. That's that on the Yankees. All right. And the important current current events here. Two. Two items that I want to touch on. And I, I wanted to dedicate an episode to them, but I felt let's cool off on, the, uh, on this stuff. So first things first. A Secret Service agent who was... One of the Secret Service agents for JFK did an interview 60 years later, however many years later, saying it's finally time for him to come out and talk about the experience he tried to block out for so long. He was next to JFK, I guess, during the whole do-do-do. And um, he put out some, you know, some information that what some would say corroborates a lot of the conspiracy theories out there that there was a second shooter, there was no magic bullet, this and that. I'm not going to get too much into it right now um, because there's a lot that goes into his story. Uh, he talks about how he's the one who found the magic bullet 
It wasn't on the gurney originally. He found it in the seat back of the seat JFK was sitting in, which means that there's no way the shot could have come from behind him and I would have had to come in front and go into the back of the seat. And he pulled it out and he said he put it on JFK's gurney and when they were wheeling him and the other guy together who got shot, the the bullet must have bounced off into the other guy's gurneys. That's where they, the public found it. That's where the, the doctors found it. And that's where it's what sparked the whole magic bullet here because some, somebody said, oh, it must, have, it must have fallen out of the body of this, this other guy that was, you know, was shot as well in the car. Um, he's saying, no, that's not the case. I found the bullet in the car and I put it on his gurney so that the doctors can maybe use it to try to pinpoint what happened with it or whatever i don't know exactly that's what he claims um i want to believe it because i know that there's foul play in this whole assassination most people i think can agree on that um but we have to be objective here this guy has a book coming out like in like a month Two weeks, three weeks. Um, some apparently some tell-all book. So it's hard for me to just blindly believe this guy is telling the truth and is being factual uh, and not just pushing his book. Now he could have this book could be filled with actual hard evidence and not just hearsay. I don't know. It's it's hard to decipher. This Secret Service agent is obviously a reputable person. Otherwise, the Secret Service has pretty um, pretty stringent requirements. Obviously, you get some outliers who stink that get in there, but uh, for the most part, they're pretty pretty top tier. Uh, I almost applied for a Secret Service agent um, when I was getting out of the active duty Air Force, but it keeps you away from, from home and family and personal life a lot in the beginning, and I wasn't prepared. I, just didn't want to do that anymore. Anyway, um, so these guys are top tier. Uh, so maybe if he came out earlier when he wasn't, you know, however old he is now, 80, 90, 100 years old, I don't know how old he is, honestly. It would seem a little bit, you know, better for him, more corroborated, but now he's an, he's an old dude. He's got a book coming out. Who knows what he when he actually started writing this book? Who knows how much he remembered? Uh, there's always, there's always a lot of back and forth argument on people's memory, on how trustworthy it can be based on the timing, who's, you know, the one having the memory and speaking on it, this and that. So, um, a lot of factors. I want to believe it, but it's hard for me to just blindly believe this right now. So we'll keep you posted on that because that's what we do here. We find the important things to talk about and talk about them. Um, the other important thing that we're gonna be objective about here, folks. Okay, we're not gonna let it get the best of us here. I want it to be true, but I'm skeptical. Uh, Mexico unveiled what they say are mummies of extraterrestrial life forms from thousands of years ago that they've had and they're unveiling them and they unveiled two of them. They had two, they were like three foot long mummies. And if you saw the video that they put out, um, they looked familiar. 
okay? Now, a lot of people are saying this could be paper mache. This looks just like ET. So this is malarkey. It does look like ET. Uh, it's just everything doesn't, you know, nothing, nothing smells right about this. Why are they putting this out now? What's, what's the real story they're trying to cover up? Who knows? Um, here's what I think. I think further investigation needs to happen. Um, I find it hard to believe that Mexico would be the only the only area that would have actual hard evidence of this. Um, so it's on America now to see if they're going to put out any any physical evidence of, of life forms like that. Um, here's what I want to believe, though. Okay. People are arguing, oh, it looks just like ET. So of course they probably just made these and and fashioned them off of ET. But if you remember back when we talked about this, I don't know the hundred other times I've talked about aliens, we talked about Tom DeLonge of Blink One Eighty Two and his crazy story that he told Joe Rogan of how the government came to him as a celebrity to help release information about UFOs and aliens into the masses to kind of ease us into it so that we're not shocked and completely debilitated when we when we get word that the aliens are real um, because he's a celebrity so you can seep it into movies and songs and into the public eye without really us knowing like subliminally. Um, so when people don't freak out about stuff that's happening now it could potentially be because of what Tom DeLonge said, that they've been seeding this in to the society this entire time. To kind of add evidence to that, you could call it evidence, whatever you want to call it, evidence, malarkey, whatever. Maybe E.T. was part of that seeding of information. We have these life forms. We got them way back already in the 50s. Hey, Spielberg, make your alien look like this so that when we actually unveil it sometime in the future, people are going to be like, oh, it looks just like E.T., not a big deal, when reality is this is a real goddamn alien. That's what I want to believe. And that makes – and there's a whole lot of other factoids and pieces of evidence and stories and rumors going you know, around this whole thing that make me believe, want to believe in more. And again, I'm biased. I want this to be true. Uh, so I have, to, I have to cool off a little bit on it. Uh, but I really do want it to be true. I, I, I've heard theories of the, the alien contract that the world leaders had with the aliens that was done down in Antarctica back in WW2 days where they had supply and peace treaties and all this other stuff, protection treaties that they signed with these aliens. A lot of stories out there. I'll get into that. If I haven't already, maybe I have. I don't know. Um, we'll talk about that sometime soon as well. But hopefully more to come on the alien stuff. Don't rule out the, the idea that they're real extraterrestrial life forms, these mummies. Don't rule it out just yet, okay? Uh... Yeah, aliens, baby. Crazy stuff. What are they what are they covering up though? What story do they not want us to know about 
that now they decide to unveil aliens. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out and report back to you here in the LPDS. With that, though, I think that's all I got. I'm trying to think what else. I'm so, I'm so brain dead right now. I'm sure I had some ideas of stuff I wanted to bring up and I'm missing. Uh, Shiza. Don't know. So with that, we'll get right into the good stuff. We'll step into the cage. Okay, let's run. Reading from the computer here. Today's Into the Cage segment is proudly sponsored by Al's Aluminum Foil. With all this conspiracy theories coming true over the past several years, it's been near impossible to find aluminum foil at a decent price these days. That's not true. Well, worry no more with Al's Aluminum Foil. Al uses recycled foil picked directly from garbage dumps and ships it directly to your home to make your tin foil house without any trouble at all. So whether it's an update on the alien invasion or new evidence in the JFK assassination, you'll be ready to go with your aluminum foil to hat up and hit the CB radios to broadcast your message of truth. So to sign up for Al's today, visit www.tinfoiltitan.com and use the promo code heap to home for 29% off your subscription of tinfoil hattery. Coincidence that we got that sponsor right after those current events. Anyway, the cage fact. Um, we discussed this previously. He's got the movie that's out now. I haven't seen it yet. It's my guard duty. Where he plays like an old retired version of John Wick. It's called The Retirement Plan. And the director did an interview, you know, upon its release and he actually wrote the story, the screenplay, around the idea of what if we had a John Wick-like character who was retired and old and decided to just go get drunk on an island and then have to save, like, his family or whatever. Um, and he did this whole article. There's a whole interview I'm, I'm reading through here uh, about the movie and the screenplay and, and filming on the Cayman Islands. And one of the things he discusses is uh, how he got Nick Cage. They asked him, how, you know, how hard was it to get Nick Cage on board with this? And the guy said uh, it was one of the easiest parts of the film because he simply sent Nick Cage's manager the script. And he said it was almost instantly he came back and was like, yeah, Cage is in. Because he saw the character, retired, hired hitman, you know, cool guy, living on a beach, getting drunk, and now he has to go save a family member. So it ties in everything Cage loves in life, being crazy, boozing, and family. Uh, and it's an action comedy. So he can exercise his, uh, his comedic chops a little bit more again. Um, and it was just, it was that easy. He said he likes the idea of being an aged, older version of himself and still doing all these crazy things. Um, and Nick's, I said, I call him Nick like we're best pals. I wish he's a good comedic actor. Go watch Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This is objectively a top movie of his. And it's funny and it's action packed. And you can't tell me otherwise. You can't. 
okay? There's no, there's no actual evidence you can, you can present that will make me think this is not a good comedy action movie, objectively speaking. So um, go check that one out. And you'll see that he's got some comedic chops and he's got to exercise them here in this movie. So I'm going to fucking watch it and let you know. Sorry, Terrence Family Show. I'm going to go check it out and I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Because I think it's going to be great. Uh, not that I have a bias or anything, but it looks tremendous. So, um, probably I'll probably give more cage facts on this article as I read through it. It's a pretty good in-depth uh, interview that the guy did, so stay tuned for that. All right, well, uh, moving on over to the junction. Spin the logo up. Got a hotline question a couple weeks ago. And that I chose not to not to answer at the end of an episode because it was I thought it was a great question and it deserved a little bit more time and um, coaxing out of ideas, exploring different ideas of how to make this work. Because I think the lessons here can be valuable for a lot of different types of people out there. So I'm gonna play the 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 call and then we'll kind of get into it here. So stand by one second. Sarge, the wet cat. Finally calling the hotline. Um, so I want to get your take on something. It's something that uh, kind of wants some spearhead leadership uh, um, uh, words of, of wisdom, I guess. It's something that I don't really need help with now, but I wish I'd had the help when I was graduating college. So um, I want to kind of get your take on uh, college athletes, like intercollegiate athletes that go through four years of college, studying whatever they're studying. Um, and, uh, you know, you go through four years of, of athletics and you learn a lot of, you know, uh, great work skills, you know, uh, dedication, leadership, um, accountability, all that kind of stuff. How do you, as a college athlete, transform that into a good resume, a good interview, um, to where somebody that you're interviewing with, some square that's never, you know, held a ball in their life, um, can can relate to what you say because like i've been in an interview where you say you know like they ask for some kind of you know when did you experience adversity or something and you tell them something that has to do with sports and they immediately zone out they just have no connection to anything with sports so how can you uh as as a college athlete um kind of uh morph your experiences you know the great experiences that you gather from college athletics into uh, the working environment um, as you're, uh, you know, transitioning from college into the workforce. So I'd just like to get your take on that and uh, see what you have to say. Good. All right. See, that's a great question to me. Um, and when I heard it the first time, I uh, it made a lot of sense because I was thinking about how we can go about doing that. And helping younger, you know, young students out, you know, getting into the workforce who have athletic experience in, you know, college athletics or something competitive to the, of that nature. Um, and I, I sort of feel the pain that the wet cat also kind of felt too when he was asking is, we didn't learn that when we graduated college. Um, and you, you know, if you had an interview for a bunch of jobs, it's... There's, it's the catch-22 right now where you need to have a college degree or a master's degree in some cases and also 55 years of experience in a job or else they don't, they don't even sniff an interview for you. 
So it's, it's wild out there. It doesn't make any sense in reality. Um, but the, the, the harsh reality of it is we still have to navigate around that. And we didn't learn that when we were younger. We had a tough, you know, we had to figure it out. Um, and we could have, you know, a lot of people probably miss out on opportunities for that. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking back now how I, how I do it now. And it's based on what I've learned through the years of how to communicate with people, um, how to understand people a little bit better to be able to, you know, enable opportunities and, and things like that. Um, so this is why it's a good question. And I hope if you, if you have, you know, if you have kids or are friends with kids who are, who are in high school and college, um, this is, this is sort of the stuff that some of the stuff we do at Spearhead Leadership on the individual consulting side is we, we want to work with, with younger adults, uh, high school, college age, just getting into the workforce so that they can get a leg up that they would have to tough out otherwise uh, and take years to learn. If we can help speed up that process so that they can be more successful earlier on uh, for the betterment of their own lives and their families' lives, that's what we try to do on the individual side. So please let them know. We'll plug for Spearhead Leadership. Reach out to me whenever you want. We can get on a free call. We can talk through and find out ways to, you know, to improve. But um, this is an interesting one because the, the short answer is know who is interviewing you. Know the people, and then you work the crowd. Now, that sounds crazy because it's like, oh, easy for you to say to work the crowd. But it is a simple concept, okay, because as human beings, I don't want to say we're selfish, we're, we're innately selfish or self-centered, but we are a little bit more focused inward. Um, that's our ego, that's our pride, that's just our survival instinct really is thinking about ourselves more than others. Um, and I'm not saying that means we're all 100% selfish or not thinking about anybody else, but it's natural for us to, to think a little bit more highly of ourselves and have better opinions of ourselves and give ourselves more credit, all that, than, than we do for others uh, in all aspects of life. Uh, and that goes for experience too, and translating experience as well. And what I'm what I mean by that is, <clears throat> excuse me, the key to working the crowd and getting them to understand where your experience comes into play and is actually a value to whatever organization you're applying or interviewing for. Um, when it comes to if your experience is just quote unquote just college athletics or competitive athletics. I'll even loop in, it's a little different um, on the service academy side, like the military academies, because uh, they go through an, also a unique experience of hardship and stress and physical, you know, uh, physical activity that's tough that people have to deal with together and work as a team and compete and all this other stuff. But it's also purposeful training for the military and they don't have to go interview for a job immediately after they graduate and they commission into the military. So it's a little different, but it translates over. And in fact, I, have, I even had a conversation about it on a previous episode a while ago, busting, busting balls with a buddy of mine, um, McStiff, Steve McStiff, who uh, 
who went to the Air Force Academy. He's a brother in arms, and we always go back and forth about how I, I will say to this day that um, our experience at the time when I played college baseball or played when I was on the college baseball team with the Wet Cat and the Creature and, and Bonji and Bone Crusher and them, um, it was f- more physically demanding than any of the PT and stuff I had to do in ROTC or in most other um, training in the military. Most other, not all, not all of the, the, the training I did. Some of the stuff was pretty damn tough. Uh, but most of it was, was not as tough as the baseball stuff we had to do. Um, that being said, how do you translate that over? And that's where I go back to working the crowd, knowing your audience and being able to relate it to them because that's what people want to hear. And that's, it's, it's a sales tactic people use. Um, it's a way people influence others. Uh, it's a way people get, uh, better relationships and network better with people. It's a way leaders build better relationships and build more successful teams with the people on those teams because they relate things to the people around them and not just to themselves. And that's a difficult thing to do from as a college kid coming out, only playing a sport. And I go with baseball, obviously, because I played, so it's easy, It's easier for me to talk about it. Um, but college athletics in general um, have parallels. Uh, and when you don't know your audience, I mean, these are strangers in an industry you have no specific experience in just yet. You're trying to get into. Maybe you learned about engineering in college when you, you, you majored in engineering. Now you're trying to get into the industry. So you know the education side of the house, but not the real world side, um, which is vastly different than academia. So my tips for this, my initial strategies, if you will, to kind of combat that and, and make it relatable to the people. You don't necessarily have to go do crazy amounts of recon on all the people in a company you're applying for to find out who might be interviewing you, who's on the board, and then find out about their families. and all. That's crazy stuff. That's stuff that I do because I'm a psychopath. Okay, And I, I, I do as much exhaustive recon and analysis on people ahead of time because um, that's just what I do. That's what I've done my entire career. Um, so don't necessarily go by me in that regard. But you start out by f- big to small, We say, we, I, I say all the time. High to low, how, whatever phrase you want to use. You start out with whatever company you're applying for. You find the name of the company and, you, and find out what they do. And you do your own education. Get your own education more so on the, on the company, their mission, their values, if they post them on their website, um, the history of the company a little bit, maybe some testimonials they might have out there on some on some clientele they've worked with, uh, and then most websites of big big industry companies, uh, even small businesses too, will have a little about me section about the team, maybe their leadership team, like their CEO, president, owner, founder, whatever, because again, we like to center things around ourselves. If you look at the Spearhead Leadership website, which I have to revamp actually because I've pivoted my focus and priority um, a little bit so the the website no longer really markets to um, where my priority focus is now. So I I gotta flip that a little bit. But the About Me section is 
is about me, human, my, my personal self. And I also have to update that to be more about the business only with a little bit of blurb about me personally. But we're, it's just, and it was a natural thing. I saw, I looked at other websites and how they did it. And other websites always had the about leadership section and went into biographies of all the top tier leadership and all these fancy buzzwords that made them sound magnanimous and great and, and experienced and skilled and highly capable individuals, which I'm sure most of them are if they're at that level. Um, but again, you got you to gotta play to that. So read about these people, okay? Um, find out about the HR department if, this, if the business is big enough to have an HR department because likely there's going to be someone from HR conducting the interview or at least one of the interviews that way. So you can, you can do a little research on there. If, you're, if you have the time and you get the information, um, you can dig a little deeper. What I mean by that is sometimes you're applying to jobs that uh, have, they have recruiting teams. that you, you, They have hiring managers, uh, either outside recruiting teams that they hire to, to contract out and do it, or in-house um, recruiting vehicles. And you get, you get lined up with a recruiting representative, a hiring manager uh, from that company who will give you the kind of rundown of like, oh, you're going to interview with these people first in this department, and then the CEO, and then HR. Uh, and then after those three interviews, we'll let you know. So a lot of the times, again, companies who are looking to hire people try to be as transparent as possible. So they try to be open about the process a little bit. Um, that's a separate conversation in and of itself. If companies are, are overly secretive and, and not informational on the process of interviewing, applying for a position there, that's a bit of a red flag. But again, separate conversation. So they're usually going to give you that information. With that, again, you can get a little kooky here. You can get a little bready, and you're going to get information. Oh, the CEO. So now you can go and find the CEO's LinkedIn because 99% of these business types in industry uh, have a LinkedIn. Um, the, the people that usually don't have LinkedIn uh, are new government workers, new military types, uh, whether you're in the military, you work in the government uh, at the lower levels um, in the Department of Defense, for instance, uh, where you know, like, I'm in the military. Like, I don't need a LinkedIn. I'm not trying to apply for any jobs anytime soon. You won't, military people won't pop up a LinkedIn profile until uh, they're getting ready to separate or retire because that's when we kind of find out, like, oh, get it on your LinkedIn or whatever. So you're not going to see a lot of those people on there or people who work in, like, content creation um, like for instance, Barstool sports guys, they're not having LinkedIn profiles. They don't need them. Um, they, that industry is different, but most other industries, leadership, people, employees of the company, um, will have LinkedIn profiles. So if, again, if you have the time, which you should, you're in college, you're just getting out of college. You will never have more time in your life as an adult than you do at that moment in your young adult life. Um, if you think you don't have the time, you, then you, you really just have a time management problem. And that's also something you can come to Spearhead Leadership to get help with. Uh, anyway, you could dig deeper, find out uh, individual names of the people that you might be boarding, you know, interviewing with if the recruiter or the hiring manager mentions it. And 
you can look them up, find out about them, see what their experience is. Again, these bio these bios on the website will are, are essentially brag sheets. Look at me sheets on these people. So they'll put the colleges they went to, the other companies they worked for, the high positions they've had. Uh, and what all this to say is you're you're gathering intelligence and information on these people to puzzle piece to piece the puzzle together on how it connects to your experience okay and your experience is not just a person who played sports in college okay and that's another important thing to realize is your messaging has to effectively communicate out that I'm like a college athlete is not just a jock okay a college athlete is a person who has experience in working on a team a team of people you don't know necessarily and you don't like everybody and you have different you know strengths and weaknesses that you have to combine and synergize together to find success as a team and that success is winning ball games competing for championships whatever the goal is that your your coach puts out you have to come together and it's not just a small team of five people it's usually 30 to 40 guys depending on the on the school you go to and the team you have. Or if you went to Embry-Riddle before my coaches got there, it was a small team of like 16 guys that they were trying to. That's another challenge in and of itself. How do you play a 60 to 80 game college baseball season with only 16 guys? Nine guys are out on the field at any given time. That means you have a couple of pitchers in the bullpen and maybe one or two subs in case someone gets hurt on the field. Now you got to play 80 games and then be competitive. That's a challenge in and of itself. That requires all these different skills that you have to learn, acquire, and become proficient in. That people in that that didn't play college athletics or even any sport in general uh, don't understand. So what you have to do is you have to list out whether in your mind. I like to write this stuff down. I'm a, uh, it, that's how I remember things better. I. I type it out more so or than more so than not I handwrite it down because that physical act of tangibly writing the thing on a notepad while I'm thinking about it helps me memorize remember it better and it, and it grains it in my brain and my muscle memory. So I would suggest writing down what you did in your college athletic career. Okay? And your college career in general because don't forget you're playing sports. Okay, and if it's a competitive team, you're practicing several hours a day, probably two a days, you know, morning workouts, then then a practice and a workout after, and you have to juggle school and a personal life all successfully around each other like that. Okay, and again, it's not that difficult sounding when you're a 35, 36, 37 year old adult like I am now. Um, but when you're an 18, 19 year old kid and never had to do anything even remotely like that before, it's a challenge. And it's the first time you're doing it and you're figuring it out and you're also succeeding at it because most of the people in college athletics graduate, have pretty good GPAs, have pretty good social lives, most of them, not me, but the, the good ones, uh, and you are successful in a sport. So you figure out a way to make it all work, learn about this new lifestyle, and succeed in it. So you have to be able to communicate that out. So you want to list out exactly what you did. Um, every, like You can list out all the minute details you want on it. 
and I know I'm getting a little long-winded here, but this is something that is, again, it was such a great question. I want to make sure I'm providing as much impactful information as possible because this is something I'm passionate about is trying to help people uh, learn this stuff so that they don't have to go through some of the mistakes and hardships that we had to go through because we didn't get this actual good education in college. Um, so you list this stuff out. I'm going to get off my, uh, get back on track here. You list this stuff out, what you did. You worked on a team with strangers. You had to get to know people. You had to identify their strengths and weaknesses as ball players, as students, as human beings, maybe like as far as if you want to be friends with them. Are they going to be a bad influence on you outside of college athletics? Are they going to affect your grades? Are they going to be good for the team? What are their, are their weaknesses going to be pain points for the team? And how do you work around that? Who do you have to empower? Who else do you have to empower on the team to make up for that other person's weaknesses? How do you bring people together when a lot of the times you're always working with at least a couple of guys who are naturally very talented at their sport, very athletic, but they don't give a shit about anything else? They're not going to try hard. They're not going to go to class. They're not going to do anything that that the coach tells you you have to do at the school mandates you know, athletes do. They're just there because they got a scholarship and they're really good at sports and they don't give a shit about anything else but that and partying and getting chicks or girls getting dudes, whatever. Um, or guys getting guys, all that stuff, all at all plays. Um, there's gonna be those outliers. I can think of a lot of those outliers on our team. I love our coaches to death, but when I played, their recruiting skills were a fucking nightmare. Family show, Terrence, I apologize. We had so many fucking jabronis on our team that didn't give a shit about the team whatsoever other than them playing so that they can get eyeballs on them so they can get drafted and then going out and pissing their parents' money away on booze and women. Uh, and we still found a way to make the College World Series and NAIA every year I played, all three years I played. We figured it out. So write that stuff down, okay? Think about what you had to do together as a team. You competed against other teams, okay? You learned how to identify weaknesses in other teams, other people and their strengths and play on their weaknesses so that you can win that game, okay? Maybe a team you're playing in baseball, maybe they're known to be really good fastball hitters and they have a lot of really powerful batters up on their team. So maybe instead of throwing your number one pitcher who throws 95, maybe you throw your, your number three guy out there who throws 88, but he paints the corners, he's got a dirty changeup, a dirty breaking ball, and he's going he's gonna to be sitting him down. They're not going to be able to adjust to it. Maybe that's the, you identify the weakness and you, and you exploit that. And that's, that skill set is you know, analysis. Okay, and then adjusting your strategy and building your plan around that analysis. And if you think about it in the industry sense, that is what a lot of times you're doing on projects and tasks. Okay, you have a task and your boss tells you, you have, we have to go and accomplish this task. This is the goal here. Here's the information on stuff related to this. You have to take this pile of crap and accomplish this goal with this team. Okay, so you're analyzing the situation, you're creating a game plan off of that analysis, 
you're actioning that plan and you're building contingencies if there's hurdles and roadblocks to get to that goal. Okay, and you're doing that on the team and you can translate that over. Okay, so I'm get, again, I'm getting long-winded because I can go off for hours on this topic. So this is really a great question. Thanks again, Wetcat, for this. We're gonna, we're gonna slow it down here. We're gonna, we're gonna sort of wrap it up a little bit um, to keep it basic level. Because again, I can go episodes on this. Write all that stuff down and then you identify how it relates all that stuff, competing, communicating to, to people, identifying strengths, empowering the different strengths of the, the team around you, dealing with difficult personalities who are not good at communication, don't wanna be there, have no motivation, don't provide much value to your team, juggling, multitasking in different things, school, sports, social life, family life. Okay, make sure you write all that stuff down. Think about examples of when you had to deal with um, a tough teammate or a tough team. A team that was, you know, projected to beat the crap out of you and you were the underdog and you had to come back and, you know, or a particular situation in the game where you were losing and you came up with a play that motivated the team to do this and whatever it was. Think of these different situations where you had to overcome hardships because you're gonna get those questions a lot in interviews. Things like that. And then you you work to put the pieces of that puzzle together with the with the organization you're you're applying to. If it's a I'll I'll try to use an example in my life recently. Um I what let me think here. I just recently had a discussion where I had to talk about my military experience and baseball experience, and I don't exactly remember when, but um, I was applying to this one position. It was a it was a civilian company. They were cyber focused. What they did was they were they did uh, information gathering and protection of assets for other corporations through through the cyber realm, through cyberspace. So they created what are called virtual personas, you know, fake profiles to weave through the dark web to find out, you know, where bad guys might want to exploit banks. And the, the, the client was a bank, for instance, like, well, we work with Citibank, like we help Citibank protect their assets by swimming through the dark ether of the internet to find out the bad guys tactics and how they try to go about scamming and breaching uh, banks these days. And then we go back to the to the bank, our client and tell them how to protect against this stuff. Um, these guys were not military, okay? These are cyber guys, cyber geeks, nerds. And I say that in an endearing way because they're extremely skilled and professional uh, and, and experienced. But you had a guy like me coming in who had to translate my military and life experience into that. Um, and what I did was I basically took my general experience from as an intelligence officer and tried to translate that over into their cyber corporate world because and if you and when you take the step back well when I took the step back it was I did the same thing as them just in a different realm I did it on the operations side where my client was an operations unit 
a ground unit of army rangers, for instance, who had to go and take out a Taliban target. Uh, or we, they had to defend one of their bases against a Taliban uh, enemy force that, was, that wanted to come and attack our base. And my job as, you know, for this client was to go and find out everything I could about that enemy, their tactics, their procedures, the people in there, their network, what their motivations are, how they're financed, where they would come for the for their own attack plan, this and that, take that information and bring it back to my client, the army rangers, the operators, to tell them, this is all the stuff you need to know on this bad guy, so now you know, A, how to protect yourself, and B, how to go after them effectively so that they can't protect themselves. Um, and I was able, I was able to translate that over because I pieced it together. I found out about the company I was applying to. I found out the general operations that they conduct and what their roles are and what their job was all about, their mission, their values, this and that. And I was able to take that and translate that over that they can understand. Um, now that takes time and practice and effort. All this stuff I just rambled on about is not just something you do overnight. You don't just Google this stuff real quick and then tomorrow you go and interview and you can translate how my baseball career translate over to your company that you don't give a shit about. Because like with a wet cat said in this question, as soon as they hear well in baseball, and then they just shut it down. Um, so rambling, rambling, rambling. You, the way you play to the crowd is do all that stuff on the collection side of the house, the recon side, the recon and analysis side. And then when it comes time to for the quote-unquote operation, the interview, the, the, the way to play to the crowd with the information you have and to translate it over is how you communicate to those people, okay? And no matter how hard, no matter how good of a preparation job you did with thinking of situations where, because they always ask the same questions in an interview most of the time, tell me, what your biggest weakness is, tell me a time you dealt with a hardship, tell me a time you dealt with a difficult supervisor or peer. Um, so you can prepare the battle space ahead of time with instances in your collegiate athletics life that translate over to that. A time you had to deal with a difficult teammate, uh, a time your coach was being an asshole to you, uh, a time you had to play a difficult, you know, a tough team and you had to overcome adversity to beat this team and, and make it to the playoffs, whatever it is. The key here, and that, and this is what Wet Cat touched on, is when you, once you say stuff like, well, in baseball, I had a tough team and I had to deal with, and these people can't relate because they, they hear sports and they think fun times, not real world, which is not – it's not – it's not intended to be a negative slap in the face, but they, when you have no experience in something, um, you, you can't relate to it. No matter how hard you try, you just can't relate to it as well. So how you say things and the language you use and how you approach interview questions is gonna be key in effectively communicating out how you actually have the experience for this particular role you're applying for. Um, so that they can understand it and that it, 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 um, it relates to them and to their business and to their personal selves a little bit. So some of the tips I like to, I like to use myself, some of the tactics are 
if they say, you know, if I'm, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm trying to apply for, you know, a cyber company or whatever. Tell me a time you had a, you had a difficult time with a peer. I like to flip it a little bit. Um, because I learn, I again, I do an exhaustive amount of recon and info gathering on the industry I'm applying to for a job, um, and then from there I take that and I say, okay, well, you know how in the network administration world, you you know when you have uh, a guy who's really good at you know hacking the matrix and building firewalls, but they don't you know, they don't like working too long. They are lazy and difficult and this and that. You know how you have to deal with that? Well, I had to deal with that as well with this guy I you know who didn't want to train with us, he didn't want to practice with us, he didn't want to do any of this stuff. He just wanted to start in the games, get all the accolades and the eyeballs, and then not be part of the team. And this is how I dealt with it. I was maybe you were a captain of the team. This is how we dealt with it as a team, to either motivate him or to empower somebody else on the team to pick up the slack for that person, so that we can reach success. Okay, so if you you can still say the words, talk about baseball and teammates and this and that, but if you start the conversation, you start your answers with you know industry focused words and verbiage that they understand and that they care about, they'll immediately be much more receptive to what you have to say about your experience. And you can and you can caveat this too. This is not a trickery game here. This is something that I've seen from people or I've heard from people when they were giving me tips and tricks about interviewing and stuff since I was, you know, even back in high school when I was interviewing for, for jobs and stuff like that is... Uh, there's all these, like, they have these, like, tricks out there of, like, oh, don't say this because this will get them angry. You don't, you don't want to admit to too much because then they'll think this and this. I am, I am all about the transparency and honesty. If you can, and, and, and putting out your best self, your best real true self, okay? At the end of the day, that's never going to backfire on you. And here's why I say that. One, if you're your true honest self and an organization doesn't think you're a right fit for them it might it might be a bummer in the in the short term but they're doing you a favor in the long term okay cuz now you essentially by being yourself you're eliminating things that aren't going to work out for you if they say that you might not be a good fit for this organization they're probably right and you should take them for the, at their word and consider that a favor because you don't want to be struggling through a toxic work environment or a shitty situation that you just don't get along with that team at all uh, and have to deal with that, you want to be in an environment that's a lot more uh, value added to you and you can be a lot more value added to the team uh, and be a lot more happy in your life. So um, that's why that's one way, reason I say that. Um, the other reason I say that is interviewers and, and companies get the red carpet treatment from people in interviews all the time okay in fact interviewing is statistically one of the least effective ways of hiring the the proper talent and people for your team because people put on a show all the time 
okay? And it's most people, with most people, it's blatantly obvious. I can't tell you how many interview boards I've been on where you get the canned answers from people. It's the same kind of bullshit, kind of kiss assy. I'm a work, I'm a, a hard worker, this and that. When they ask you, what do you, what do you say your biggest weakness is? And you pull the Michael Scott, I care too much, I love too hard, whatever it is. It's all the malarkey. And if you come in there and you're just open and honest and confident in yourself because you're being your true self, that's going to resonate a lot more with people than anything else. And and tying this back around to collegiate athletic experience and, and the fact that it doesn't translate over to people as, as much as it should is you can be honest with them. You, you preface the, the answer to a question with relating it to their industry. You know how you had to have, you, 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 I'm sure you had to deal with this on, you know, in the sales side where you had a sales teammate who, you know, you needed to combine for this amount of sales per quarter and they just weren't picking up the slack and you had to deal with this and that. You, you preface the answer with relating to their industry, some anecdote about their industry. You know how you guys had to do this before? Well, we had to do the same thing in this realm, and then you explain it out that way, and then you tell them. You be straight up, and again, how you communicate it and the words you say are also a little bit you know, important too. Um, again, this is not, I'm not saying lie, but how you communicate out is gonna make your statements more effective, more or less impactful. So you wanna be honest and just say, I understand on paper, you guys see college athlete or baseball player, and there's not a lot of experience in your world here. But when you're writing a resume and you're giving interviews, you can use words that are that translate into that industry, that are industry language, if you will. And that goes back to if you do the correct info gathering, you can identify the industry language that corresponds with your life experience, your college athletic experience. And, and Wet Cat hit it on the head even in his question. Competition, teamwork, dealing with hardships and stress, overcoming obstacles. And, it's, and it's, it's right there in front of your faces when you're doing your info gathering. The job posting is going to have that. Here are some of the responsibilities of the job. And this is a this is again a, this is a separate discussion in and of itself on how to write a resume and a cover letter that that gets passed through the algorithms because most most hiring boards <clears throat> excuse me have algorithms that run algorithm bots if you will that automatically run the resumes so that they're getting for job applications and if they don't have the certain buzzwords the qualifiers they get thrown to the side so if you don't know the right language to put in there you're not even going to get to the interview let alone be able to have a conversation with people so the job posting will say we want someone with good management skills with good teamwork abilities who wants to be you know uh, who wants career progression opportunities who uh can work in a high-paced environment, who's a go-getter, a self-starter, this and that. And then you can take your baseball experience. Again, I use baseball because that's what I know. Um, use your college athletic experience, and you translate that over into those buzzwords that you see from your research. We, someone with management skills. I was the captain of a baseball team, so you can put in your resume, managed 
30 plus young adults work together to accomplish this goal and then the results, you know, again, a separate conversation, but it's kind of action impact results or whatever, action results impact or whatever is the best kind of most effective resume bullet to show results because that's what people want to see on resumes is results. And you say, you know, captain of 30 individuals for three years or whatever. That's what I, that's, you know, I was two years of captain, whatever. Um, empowered this, you know, enabled the strengths of different personality types to come together to accomplish this goal results runner up in a world series or third place in the world series number two in the nation okay um and then you can talk to that once that you know once you use those buzzwords and your resume gets through you can talk through in the in the interview again i'm blabbering on because there's a lot that goes into this this is why i wanted to talk about it more than just at the end of an episode in fact we can get into if you have follow-up questions wet cat or anybody has follow-up questions and wants to dig deeper into these particular topics because i am kind of going off on tangents and stuff because my brain is now it's firing up again i'm about, i'm awake again it's after after eight o'clock, so I'm awake again. See, so we can keep we can keep talking through this, but basically, let me try to tie it all together very simply. You gather information on the industry, the organization you're applying for. Find out about them. Okay, look at the job posting and see the buzzwords: management skills, teamwork, self-starter, uh, can get through obstacles. You take the information you wrote down about your experience as a college athlete. I was a captain. I started or I, you know, I was walk-on and I eventually started. I had to deal with 40 guys from different walks of life, different experience levels, different strengths and weaknesses, different motivations. Um, and to come together to compete, deal with stress together, juggle personal life and school life, all that stuff. You put that down. And then you match it up with the info you got on the job and the people in that organization. And when you go to the interview, now you have the connection already internally. Again, while you're studying this stuff and preparing ahead of time, it's going to get start internalizing in your brain so that it's going to be a little bit more muscle memory to you. Uh, unless you're doing it the night before, which I don't recommend. Um, I recommend you prepare ahead of time several you know weeks ahead of time uh or if you're a psycho like me months ahead of time and now you are able to more easily express how your very qualified experience as a college athlete translates over to the particular job you're applying to and let's be honest unless you're applying to a management role or a director or supervisor role as a 21-year-old kid coming out of college, most of the jobs you're going to be applying to are going to be lower entry level, entry to mid-level depending. And it's going to be a lot easier than you think to translate that experience over if you prepare ahead of time with all that stuff. Now, before we end this topic, I rambled a lot. I... I am passionate about this is stuff I love talking about and trying to help people with. And I say trying because I'm not going to sit here all cocky like I can help anybody is. I love to help as many people as possible. I'm confident in my ability to do so. Um, but I'm also not going to try to be an egotistical piece of shit and just be like, I could teach anybody. Fuck you. 
Uh, sorry, Terrence, I know. We're done. Put the kids away. So if anything was confusing at all, or I went off on too many tangents and there wasn't, you know, it wasn't a good, clear direction lane in the road, please let me know. Because um, I can write this out. I can prepare this in a, in a, in a way that's a lot more step-by-step, -step, directional, easier to understand, simple. I could put it in a PowerPoint presentation, whatever you want. If, you, if it's going to be beneficial to you, or maybe you have a family member or a friend who has a young adult uh, child, you know, son, daughter, or whatever, that can benefit from this, um, let me know, and I'm here to help. For you as well, if you're older, if you're you know my age, still in the workforce, still applying to jobs, this still this still plays. Okay, you it might be a little easier for you to make this translate over, and you might have more work experience in the environment. But guess what, guys? And I have no shame in saying this. I still use my baseball experience when I when I do interviews and I talk to people and I'm applying this stuff. When I applied to my last special ops unit in the military when I was active duty, I used my baseball experience, getting cut from my teams in high school and then in college in the beginning, and then ended up making the teams and all this stuff, going through hardships. I go back to it, uh, and it's just about how you communicate it out how you can relate it to the people you're talking to and what they do in their lives and their jobs, because that's what they care about. Um, and that's how you make it translate over. But again, please reach out to me if you have questions or confusions, pushbacks, things you don't agree with. Uh, if you need it in a more clear and concise manner, PowerPoint, blog, you know, post, whatever it is, let me know, because this is what I really enjoy doing. I enjoy talking and blabbing on this podcast and I enjoy helping people out any way I can. And that's the big reason why I started Spearhead Leadership. So um, great question, Phil. I hope I did a little bit, you know, I hope I did a good job answering it. I have so many more things I want to talk about about this, uh, but we don't want to, we don't want to fire host people with information because then you start to forget and you start, and it starts to become ineffective. Um, so we want the education to be impactful and long lasting. So if you want follow up, please let me know. Otherwise, that's all I have to say about that for now. Before we go, real quick, the big three. For the new guys out there, the th big three are the three pillars to staying strong and being a better, happier, kinder, more genuine, healthier human being and spreading that goodness and positivity out to the rest of the world and the people around you. Number one, exercise every day. Do something. Whether it's a physical, mental, or emotional exercise, going for a walk, doing a full workout, running, uh, jumping jacks, reading a book, meditating, doing a crossword, learning a new hobby, praying, breath work, whatever it is, do one thing every day for exercise so that you can become physically, mentally, and emotionally healthier. Number two, the toughest one to do, don't be a shitty person, be a kind person. And that's as simple as removing yourself from the situations to be shitty in. When the opportunity arises for you to respond negatively or to respond with a shitty jab or a personal jab at somebody, even if you think they deserve it, especially on social media where it's super easy to do that, just simply detach from your emotions, take the LPDS step back, and don't respond to the situation. Just by you not responding, you're already minimizing the negative and shit in that situation that people are going to see out there in the world. 
and you don't know how your words are gonna affect the person on the other side of that social media profile. You think it's just a profile, it's a human being out there. And you know how shitty you feel when people come at you in a negative light, even if you don't know them and you can kind of brush it off, it still hurts, it's, you still feel it. So there's no reason for you to make other people feel like that, even if you think they deserve it. We're better than that at the LPDS, we're not gonna do that. Number three, the most important one is to be genuinely thankful and grateful for all the good you have in your lives. Uh, one of the outlier people I was talking about when I was when we played college baseball is they took everything for granted. They didn't have any sort of gratitude for anything. They took everything for granted, and in fact, they felt entitled. And that was some of the problems we had with these outliers was that the sense of entitlement they had, the feelings that they should be getting all the good stuff coming to them. And then if they don't get something good, it's bullshit and it's on somebody else to make sure that they do get that good thing. And instead of flipping the attitude and being grateful for the good things they have. Um, and that's why they were a real problem to deal with. So think about one thing every day and you realize that's good. Whether it's a person, experience, a, you know, a tangible thing, a roof over your head, a toilet, whatever. And think about your life and what it would be like without that thing. What if you didn't have running water? If you had no toilet, you had to go out in your yard and take a dump like a dog or a Taliban. Think of how miserable you would be compared to what you have now with toilet. Uh, and that puts you in the mindset of gratitude. And if you do that a little bit more each and every day, the majority of your, your brain space is going to be focused more on gratitude and if you remove yourself from the negative situations by not being a shitty person, you'll have more of that brain space to dedicate to gratitude and positivity and more productive things in your life. And if you exercise every day, physically, mentally, emotionally, you'll be fit to fight to focus on all that good, grateful, productive stuff. And by coupling all those three together, you'll be a happier better, kinder, more genuine, healthier human being, and you can spread that goodness and positivity to all those around you and to the greater good, the greater rest of the world. So that's all I got for tonight. I did have other hotline questions. I'm going to get to those separately. So for the people who called in, I didn't forget about those. I know they're out there. Um, so we'll get to those at a future date. But thank you guys again for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Tell your friends and enemies. Seriously, though, if you have someone in your life, whether it's yourself, a friend, a family member, a, you know, a, a son or daughter or whatever that you think could benefit in any way, shape, or form from Spearhead Leadership, reach out to me directly. I'm not, it's, not, it's free. You can, it doesn't cost anything for you to reach out to me and we can have a conversation and see how I can help that person or help you out or help each other out, whatever it is. That's what, that's what we're here for. So let me know. Thank you guys again. I love you all. Stay strong.